Hey, welcome to episode 39 of the Juice Box Podcast. Uh, this episode of the Juice Box Podcast does not have a sponsor, so let me take that opportunity to uh, sponsor it myself. Episode 39 of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the book Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal, written by me. Uh, it's available on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com and makes a wonderful holiday gift, if I do say so myself, which I am. Okay, Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal is available everywhere books are sold, especially on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and it is the Mom's Choice Gold Award winner for contemporary families. Okay, now, here's what you're really here for. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is a hour-long interview with the CCO of Insulate, Shacy Petrovic. You guys turned in a ton of great questions. I had some questions of my own. And um, Shacey answered every one of them. So I think if you are a Omnipod user, you are going to find this quite interesting. We talked about the Dexcom Omnipod partnership. We talked about the new PDM when we might see it. We talked about Abbott and the freestyle test strips. We talked about smaller pods for pediatrics. We talked about artificial pancreas. We talked about the Forbes article where David Cliff goes on and on about how Omnipod's fallen apart. But you know what? Chasey's got a different story. Uh, you want to hear about Medicare. You want to hear about iPhone integration. You want to hear about what Omnipod's working on right now. This is the podcast for you. Let's get going. Let's call Chasey and get going on this. Hi, this is Chasey. Chasey, hey, Scott Benner. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? Great. Could I ask a favor? Are, are you, if you're on speakerphone, could you pick up? Uh, yes. Thanks. Um, it just means I have to move for a second. So. You do whatever you, listen, please. Do what you need to do. It just, okay. there'll be echo that we'll get rid of. Okay. God, is that better? It's Can you much, hear me? It's perfect. And I'm sure you haven't. Okay, hold. let me just turn this other speakerphone off then. Okay, there. Oh, it's so good. Very clear. Okay, great. Excellent. We don't want to miss a word. So, uh, <laughs> no problem at all. It's excellent. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, great. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, great, great. I, um, I, I guess you know, we reached out into the community and asked a bunch of questions, and so many came back that. Uh, I guess what we've decided to do is ask you more of the business-related questions, and then I'm going to talk to Rob Campbell in the near future and ask him more of the functionality kind of questions. So Yeah, that's great. Yeah. He, he's an expert, obviously, in the technology, so he'll be the best to answer more of the technical questions. And, and you're going to get off much easier. So you went from like, <laughs> a, you went from like a billion <laughs> questions to like nine questions. Um, and, and it'll give us more time to, to kind of air out these questions, too, and, and talk a little bit. So... Um, if you don't mind starting by just kind of giving us a little professional background, where you came from and how you ended up with Insulet. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've been in life sciences, primarily medical device for the last 20 years in a variety of, um, you know, management, uh, marketing and general management roles. Uh, before Insulet, uh, for a couple of years, I was a CEO of a smaller women's healthcare company based in Utah. And I um, started my career with a company called SciTech, which is a company that was founded by Pat Sullivan, the CEO here at Insulet today. So uh, when I was working at my previous company, Pat gave me a call and just started to talk about the new company that he had joined as CEO, and that was Insulet. Mm -hmm. And uh, the technology was really intriguing to me. My father is a type 1 diabetic, and so he had been on a tube pump for a while, um, and I fully understood you know, the challenges of getting him onto a pump initially, and then, you know, what a technology like Omnipod could mean to my dad and, and other patients in the same situation. So I was really, I sort of fell in love. I was not familiar at all with the technology before Pat called, and then just doing some research sort of fell in love with the product. Um, and obviously, you know, he is a someone I really respect as a leader, and, and just in terms of his strategic vision for the organization. And so I got more and more excited about it, and he eventually convinced me to, to join Insulet. So it felt like a good personal move and a, and a good business move for you. Yeah, absolutely. And where were you living? No, I mean, you know... I was just going to ask... I was living in... I'm so sorry. I was living in Salt Lake City. No, that's okay. I was living in Salt Lake City. Um, but I had lived in Boston for about four or five years 
prior to moving out to Salt Lake. So when I was running a division for Hologic, which is a large uh, women's healthcare company based uh, in Marlboro, Massachusetts. Okay. And so a bit of a homecoming for you because you're back now. And um, yes. and how long have you been there? It, because because that's going to be my next question. There's a bit of a turnover at the top at Insulet, right? So when did that happen and, and what did it encompass sure. besides you? Yeah. So um, Pat joined in September and I think like any you know CEO joining a, uh, their new organization, you evaluate your talent and your organization, you evaluate your business opportunities. And I think he saw... Um, the need for a variety of reasons to uh, make some changes in the management team. So he did make, um, you know, a significant uh, number of changes in the senior management and executive team. Mm-hmm. I was part of those. Uh, I joined in uh, February of last year, so just okay. about nine or ten months ago. Okay. Okay. So you're you're new, but not that new. And so you've had That's time, right. <laughs> time to. I know every my wife is. Um, I, I noticed you have a, a biology degree too. Uh, my wife yep. does. My wife does too. I know she initially wanted to be a, a physician when she was in college, and uh, now she does um, product safety for uh, a big pharma company. And um, oh, okay. and so uh, I know that when she she's moved a couple of times, there's like this six month period where she starts off like absorbing everything, and then all of a sudden one day <laughs> I can see her face change when she comes home and she's got like the lay of the land and like I can all of a sudden see she's putting like plans in place. And it's usually right <laughs> around six months. Like she's like, I know what to do now. Um, so, so in my estimation, you're about three months into I know what to do now. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great, it is a great assessment uh, from an outsider's view. Uh, you know, just that's a great way to describe it. And I think you're right. I think you're 100% right on that. Yeah, it, it's just interesting because it takes a while. You have to, you have to see what's going on. So, um, so you yeah. are the, the chief commercial officer. Um, and what does that mean? What, what, what do you oversee really? Sure. Yeah. At Inslet, and you know, that means different things at different organizations. Right. At Inslet, it means uh, sales, marketing, customer care. Customer care for us is product support, all of the research on uh, benefits investigation that we do for patients, um, and then also market access and advocacy. So that's all the efforts that we have in place for Medicare, Medicaid, and improving um, access for the product. And it also includes um, uh, international and that business partnership with uh, Ipsomat and our other distributors and our recent, uh, you know, direct uh, investment in Canada. Okay. Okay. So um, let's, let's start with something that's in the news right now. So I don't know if you know or not, but yesterday, MedPage Today reported that a woman named Jill Whitcomb has won her legal battle with... Yes. With um, Medicare, and they're going to be compelled. Her insurance company is going to be compelled, and Medicare is going to be compelled to cover a continuous glucose monitor for her. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. ruling affect Medicare covering Omnipods? Well, um, you know, we're so not directly, but indirectly, it may. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've sort of pursued a few different paths to achieve Medicare coverage for Omnipod. And, you know, this is for us a really important initiative for a variety of reasons, but not least of which we have more than a thousand patients that today are Medicare eligible and covered by Medicare, but cash pay for their Omnipods. And to me, that's just not right. Um, And, you know, the other thing is, I'll say my father is just about to uh, become a Medicare patient and he's going to be in the same boat. And, uh, you know, Pat, I think really early on in his tenure here saw that as, um, a key mission for him. It's his top priority as CEO is, and he's been very hands-on really in all of our efforts with Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've taken a few different paths um, in terms of trying to achieve coverage for our, our patients that are eligible for Medicare. Um, one of those, uh, some of those are sort of more um, legal language uh, changing of the law paths. Others are just uh, discussions with CMS and trying to help them see uh, the situation in a different light. And then we've also pursued, you know, another pathway. Some of that includes advocacy and, um, you know, local coverage uh, challenges like we saw with Jill and CGM, Mm -hmm. um, where she got a regional uh, decision that is, you know, going to influence uh, on a national level. I think we're pursuing those similar paths. And so it's great to see a precedent. I think we certainly want... Um, you know, Medicare patients that are living with diabetes to have access to these really important technologies. I mean, in my mind, it's a travesty that they don't. We just have to find a way to do that. 
So we're, we've invested a tremendous amount of time and energy in that. What do you think the biggest speed bump is? Do you think that at Medicare that there's just a, it's a head in the sand, like we don't care if this is better or not. It's just more money out of our pocket. So let's fight this as long as we can. Or do you think they really don't see the benefit and you have to educate them? Yeah, I don't, I actually don't think it's the latter. I mean, you know, when they say, when they explain to us why Omnipod isn't covered, it has nothing to do with the impact to the patient or the clinical benefits or that they view it, you know, clinically different than the other uh, insulin pumps that they cover. Right. It's simply the structure of Medicare and they have the pathway that we've been going down with Medicare is what's called the durable medical equipment, you know, pathway. And, um, and in their mind, uh, Omnipod does not fit the benefit or the, fit the definition of durable medical equipment. Oh. So it has nothing to do, do with the clinical benefits or the clinical data. It really is purely the definition of the product, it being disposable versus uh, a reusable pump. And that's where we sort of help them see that PDM is a reusable piece of the component and trying to help them see that this really does fit the definition. But that's the challenge. Yeah, because uh, my daughter Arden has never used an insulin pump besides the Omnipod. But my expectation is is that my monthly cost for durable goods with you is no different than it would be if I had a tube pump. I mean, you you know, it's my expectation that if I'm a company making insulin pumps, there's a certain amount of money I need to make, you know, from each one of my okay. patients to stay in business. You know, it's sort of like this is what the tubing and the you know and and you know the right. the stuff I need for my tube pump costs, and this is what the pods cost. Like in the end, it's a it's more about keeping the company the afloat than what it really costs to make the tubing. Like that's kind of, I mean, how I've always interpreted it from the you know from the outside. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I th- and, you know, we've tr- we have demonstrated or made an effort at least to demonstrate to Medicare that the cost of the technology over, let's say, a four or five year period is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's not the piece of it. They're just, you know, for them, it is purely the definition of the product. And does does Omnipod fit the definition of the product? And their position to date has been that it doesn't. I would say we've had, you know, very productive discussions with them this year. And we're confident we're going to find a way forward. Um, it's just, you know, a matter of time. And unfortunately, our government <laughs> doesn't have the same sense of urgency as I do. Yeah, well, yeah. And because is there kind of like that, like in at the end of the conversation, is there sort of that thing that I'm sure makes you sad would make me sad. But the idea of like, look, needles and a vial of insulin been keeping people with diabetes alive for a long time. So yeah. Th- yeah. that's just sort of it, you know, and, and, and I wish they could see the other side of it. I mean, I would tell you easily that not only did going on an insulin pump for my daughter affect her health and life in a huge way, it affected my health and my life yeah. in a huge way. And stress, I mean, yeah. you know, there's there was a point in time when I was arguing for something with an insurance company, and I said, look, give this to her now or pay for my heart attack in five years. Like, yeah. like, like seriously, uh, you, you know, like I'm, because I don't sleep. So I'm assuming yeah. I'm going to fall over at some point. Um, you, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, right, like this is going to catch up with me at some point, and then it's going to be on you yeah. then. You know, you said, yeah. why, you know, stop, I, stop moving money around. Just let's do it where it makes sense. I agree. I cannot agree more. I mean, you know, and I, I see it from a similar perspective. You know, when my, my father was on uh, multiple daily injections and, and relatively poorly controlled for most of his life. And in fact, um, you know, every time he got into a car, he was getting into these tiny car accidents all the time. And mm-hmm. I literally, I mean, everybody in the family couldn't, we were on pins and needles. Yeah. Um, and he was somebody who felt stigmatized by his disease. And so, you know, never wanted to talk about it, was very defensive when we would bring up the potential of going on a pump, um, you know, didn't want, didn't want an implanted catheter for whatever reason. Um, And so, you know, we just lived with this fear all the time, Mm -hmm. um, which I know, I know you do. I know every caregiver does, every parent does with patients, you know, with, with children who who have type one diabetes. And um, in fact, it was a horrible car accident and a really scary situation that eventually convinced my father to get onto a pump. Yeah, yeah. And it was life-changing. It was life-changing for everybody in the family, not just my father in terms of his health and his, you know, long-term chances, um, but for everybody in the family to have this sigh of relief um, was just, it affects I mean, it everybody. revelatory. It affects, it affects yeah. your whole family. So, and I don't discount anyone who, you know, is, happily managing their blood sugars with a flex pen or something else like that. But 
yeah. will tell you that the combination of the Dexcom CGM and the Omnipod for my daughter yeah. is been absolutely, you know, I did my best to figure it out with shots and testing. Yeah. And, and my best was about an A1C of about eight and a half. That's about what I can yeah. figure out. Um, right. Yesterday was my daughter's quarterly endo appointment, just yesterday. And her A1C went up on us to 6.2. It's been uh, five nine. Up to 6.2. That's right. It's been <laughs> five five nine six six one six two consistently for two years. Oh, fantastic! And it's the That's it's wonderful. Thank you. And it's the it's the technology that allowed me to think deeper about how I was doing things and and to make yeah. you know like minor corrections instead of like these giant course corrections and and um, so not only is the A one C good, but if you look at her at her graph, there's not a lot of spikes. There's not a lot of up and down which has changed her life. You know, she's not, she's not high and then low and then right. Like her, you know, her brain chemistry is not changing. She's not foggy one minute and, you know, and, and anxious the next. It's just been, it's been, it's been a crazy uh, improvement for us. So, so let me tell you a little bit about how that happened. So I can lead into my next question for you. So Arden is 11 now. Um, and she was diagnosed when she was two in 2006, I think, although I don't seem to be very good with dates. Um, but, but, <laughs> but in 2006, and when she was three and coming up on four years old, my wife and I started talking about we didn't really want some random stranger who worked at our school jabbing our kid with needles. So we thought, let's get on an insulin pump when she's four. It'll give us enough time to really learn how to do it so that we can explain it to someone else when she starts school. And that was our plan. So call the endo. How does that happen? Well, you come to a pump class that we have and we'll show you all the insulin pumps and you can pick one. And we were like, okay, that's great. Now my daughter is, I live in the Northeast and I think I've said it on here before. And if I haven't before too bad, but my, my daughter goes to, uh, the children's hospital of Philadelphia. So it's a pretty big, pretty prestigious, well-known institution. I get into a big conference room and there's tables in a U and there's families all around these tables on the outside. Inside, there's a couple of uh, nurse practitioners and, and certified diabetes educators. And there's this little table in the back. And all the insulin pumps are set up very pretty. The pump and the manual and the little CD-ROM that comes with them and the boxes behind them. It literally looked like someone came in and, and you know, from, from a department store and showed them how to set up these pumps. <laughs> and they gave us this big talk. And uh, then please get up from your seats and feel free to wander around the room and handle the pumps and figure out which one you want to talk to us about personally. So everyone's doing this. And no lie, back in the far corner of the room, in this kind of like misshapen corner of the room, where it just looked like stuff would get stuffed at the end. You, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we don't need that table. Fold it up and jam it in this corner. There was this little table back there, and I recognized the colors. It was colorful. There was a colorful box back there. And I'm not telling you that this box was set up on the table. This wasn't a special viewing situation. It was tossed there. And I walked, and I, I, I'm not kidding. It was like someone went, what do we do with this? And, and someone literally turned and went, throw it in the corner. And so I ran over, took a look at it. I opened the box, started taking it out, and it was an Omnipod. And so wow. I looked through it, and I noticed, wow, no tubing. Like, this is cool. All the other ones have tubing. This sets it apart. Let me look closer. I looked a little more, a little more. Made a lot of sense to me. I pulled my wife over, and I said, look at this one. There's no tubes. And, and what really hit me at the time, Chasey, was... I thought, no company is going to make an improvement to their insulin pump and, and make revision vision one and two. Sorry, I lost my audio there just for a second. Um, so, I'm sorry, just in case you didn't hear me. I said, what I said to her was, you know, no company is going to, like, make an insulin pump and then make an improvement to it. There's not going to be a one and a 1A or, you know, anything like that. I'm like, once they improve yeah. it, we'll always just get the improved ones. And plus, they're disposable. So, every time they change something in this, we'll get it. It seemed forward thinking. It seemed more aware that technology was moving quickly. And yeah. so I went to the, the woman and I said, uh, my wife and I would like to start my daughter on this. And Chasey, I've lost track of, I wrote a blog post about it. It's on my blog somewhere. I think it's called Don't Let a Doctor Push a Pump or CGM on You, something like that. And mm -hmm. so I'll have to put a link to it in the show notes. But I listened to this nurse tell me, every reason she could think of why I didn't want an Omnipod. And I mean, she hit me hard. The cannula goes in at the wrong angle. Your daughter's too lean. The, you know, the, um, the boluses aren't small enough. The basal rates aren't small enough. 
Um, you'll never find real estate on her for this. Like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they really pushed me. And then at the end, when I was resisting, because I'm not sort of the type of person you'd want to just tell me what I don't want to do. And so I kept resisting. And she looked me dead in the eye and said, if you get this insulin pump and don't like it, your insurance is going to make you use it for four years. Like, literally, there should have been, like, uh-huh. ominous music playing behind her when she said it. But, and, 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 like, lightning going off, you know? And I said, well, listen, I enjoy cursing at my my insurance company on the phone. So if it comes to that, it'll be a nice afternoon of me yelling the F word and the phone at the insurance company. So it'll be fine. I said, well, well, well don't worry about it. This is the one we're taking. <clears throat> so we did. Two years later, leaving my daughter's endo appointment, she asked me to send my daughter out into the hallway so she could talk to me for a second. And... I'll tell you that the only other time that ever happened in my life was so my endo could tell my wife and I that the national average for divorce was one and two. But when you add chronic illness of a child, it goes to two and three. So when she asked me, so when she asked me to send the, the kids out into the, in the lobby so she could talk to me, I was like, what horrible news is coming today? You know? but, it, but instead, she pulls me aside and says, listen, I just wanted to apologize to you. I know how hard we tried to talk you out of an Omnipod. And so now this is about 2008 now. Um, or excuse me, 2000, geez, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. It's not that long ago, 2011 maybe. I'm having this conversation. Okay. And she says to me, um, I just want to apologize. I know how hard we pushed you not to get an Omnipod. And I just want to let you know that every one of the reasons we gave you back then wasn't real. And I was like, well, what are we talking about here? And she said, we just didn't have any experience with it. And we were afraid that if you had an issue with it, we wouldn't know how to help you. So instead of saying that to me, then they tried to Uh. scare me away from it. The rest of what she said to me, Chasey, was this. Arden has had so much success with the Omnipod that I've talked to the, the doctor that she works for, who is the director of, of pediatric endocrinology at at CHOP. And she said, and we are going to start prescribing them to kids now because of you guys. And I was like, wow, I don't know whether to be happy or angry. Like, like I was like, you know, like, and so I went with angry just in case you were wondering, I was thrilled for other people, but really annoyed because it just washed over me that if I didn't have the wherewithal that day or the spine or not grown up where, you know, I being told to like blindly follow doctors when they tell you stuff, you know, I would have, my daughter would use anonymous pain because that's what they were shoving at us. And to say that an Omnipod has changed her life in ways that you can't even imagine, just, you know, the tubing aside, and it is very discreet, not disconnecting for showers and baths and swimming and like all that stuff. Like, I, I always wonder, like, how many kids are walking around with ketones after they're at the pool for two hours and don't really know it because the activity kept their blood sugar right. low, like stuff like that, you know? So right. yep. having told you that very long story, um, I really want to know what your plans are to educate healthcare providers around the country so that when someone says, I want an insulin pump, they think Omnipod first. Because as I say in this house, when insulin does well, my family does well. So, <laughs> and so, so how, how is that? Uh, well, Scott, first of all, I'll say that that is not the first time I've heard that story. Mm-hmm. And I'm always amazed at, you know, how patients have to become patients and caregivers and families have to become their own advocates across, you know, so many different healthcare scenarios. But with type 1 diabetes, I think it's even more important because obviously they live with the technology. You live with the technology 24, day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so you have to find what's right for you. Yeah. And and so I hear that again and again, and I think it's, it sort of speaks to one of the challenges that any company has coming into this industry. And then also, I think one of the areas where Insulet maybe didn't get it right um, initially. And so the first, the challenge is any company, any new company, any pump company, and we saw this with Asante, you know, to actually serve this community and get into all these endocrinologist offices, which have large companies around them like Medtronic, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge to, um, you know, uh, have the staff to do that. And then also uh, to be able to penetrate some of the relationships and existing um, support structures that, that are in place with some larger companies. I think initially, Insulet, in order to sort of get around that, went heavy on patient um, marketing and went 
um, you know, very strong to patient events where our staff would be sort of identifying patients that were excited about the technology and then bring them into their physician's office and help them get access to it. And what we weren't doing effectively was really building advocacy and awareness and education among the endocrinologist's office, the Mm -hmm. educator, the nurses, and the endos. And so that's really where we shifted our strategy, um, you know, at the beginning of this year when I came on board, which was, hey, if we really want to have, a, you know, a good business model here and a long-lasting one, we have to be in front of the healthcare practitioner because we know that 83% of patients who get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, the first resource that they go to to learn anything about their options is, is their physician's office. Yeah. And so if, we, if we're not there um, educating those uh, healthcare practitioners on the benefits of Omnipod, we're not going to get to the vast majority of patients out there. Right. We'll get to the really motivated ones that go to the events, basically. And, the world's, and that's where we were. Yeah, and the world's changed so much now. You just can't send a handsome guy or an attractive girl with a, with, <laughs> with a plate of bagels and, and some free pens and be like, hey, Omnipod, right? And, and because yeah. that was the model for a really long time. And some yeah. of the people that you're in business, you know, sort of against now, they were, they were there when, you know, you could fly a doctor to Hawaii to tell them about your insulin pump. And so that that doesn't exist anymore. And, and good thing by the way, but, but it puts you in a situation where you have to be more thoughtful about it. Um, Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, what, where I see a, a big opportunity is in clinically differentiating and supporting the product because this market for whatever reason, is really built on features. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one pump comes out with another feature, and there and among healthcare practitioners, there isn't a lot of differentiation in their heads about these technologies. They see them as all fairly similar, doing the same thing, and it really is about the features that you know one patient is attracted to versus another. Yeah. And so, if they don't really see differentiation, they don't see the imperative to, for example, make sure that their patients mm-hmm. know about Omnipod. Because one is all, you know, not too different than the other. And so they're not that concerned about making sure that um, all of these, uh, you know, that they understand them and that they're presenting the potential benefits of each of the technologies. Whereas, you know, you mentioned it, there are some really big differentiators with Omnipod that could be clinically meaningful. The fact that you don't have to disconnect, um, the fact that it's waterproof, that they meet, they're meaningful, I think, from a quality of life standpoint. And I think they're very meaningful potentially from a clinical differentiation standpoint. The other thing that we did this year was really take the, you know, make an investment in developing the clinical data and support for Omnipod um, to help build advocacy among physicians and help them see that, you know, this product offers sort of unparalleled convenience and that convenience will lead to better compliance and that compliance then hopefully leads to better control. And we need to prove that clinically, but we're, we're doing that now. Well, let me, let me tell you what I, I've thought longstanding have this thought, and I don't know if you'll I'm not sure how much you'll relate to it or not. Okay, after the break, I'm going to go through with Shacy how I think Omnipod is the TiVo of insulin pumps. But before that, an ad. And like I said, today's ad is about my book, Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal. Now, this is weird talking about your own book. It's not easy to do, and I'm going to feel really goofy. So instead of me trying to tell you why I think the book is worth your time, I'm going to read some reviews from Amazon. Okay, ready? Take one comedic cup of Irma Bombeck, sprinkle with two tablespoons, wow, this is a high-minded one, with two tablespoons John Rosemonded parental wisdom, fold in a stiff-whipped Bill Bryson-ish erudite self-deprecation, wow, that sounds fancy, and you have the great read of stay-at-home dad Scott Benner's Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal, perfect gift for both the virginal and field-tested parents in your life. Okay, now if that one seemed too fancy, I get it, hold on a second. Let's just scroll around for a second. Easy read with several funny laugh out loud moments. Yet beyond the funny antics throughout the book relating to life, marriage, and raising children, it is a reminder that life will undoubtedly fail you, fail to go as you plan. Obviously I write better than I read. It's what we learn from our struggles that ultimately help us become more understanding, compassionate, and remind us to embrace life and loved ones. All right, what else we got here? I strongly suggest that before parenting, you read this book. This is this is too much. I can't even read that one. Wonderful book. Amazing anecdotes and kick-ass real-world writing. Highly recommend this book. All right, listen. Let's get back to the show. You, you're not here for this. But, uh, but please, buy my book on Amazon. Life is Short, Laundry's Eternal, Confessions of a Stay-at-Home Dad. 
Uh, I guarantee you won't regret buying it. By guarantee, I don't mean I'm guaranteeing it. I just mean I really think you'll like it. Back to the show. Everyone at this point in the world who has cable or satellite television in their house is probably the owner of a DVR. And Mm -hmm. we all can record our television and pause and rewind and fast forward and skip the commercials and everything. I have been using a TiVo since 2001. A TiVo Mm -hmm. is a DVR. And it would be difficult for me to stand in front of you and tell you, look, TiVo is so much better than your Fios DVR. It is so much better than your Comcast DVR. And if you asked me to explain to you why, I could try, but it would sound like I was reaching the whole time. But I steadfastly believe that if I left the TiVo on your front step today and came back 30 days from now and said, I want your, uh, give me the TiVo back, I'm going to give you back your DVR from your cable company, you would defend that TiVo with a baseball bat because you have (laughs) to use it to know. There's no good way to explain to somebody why one DVR is better than the other. There just isn't. It's, It's almost impossible. And TiVo's stock will show you that. It is hard, it is hard to, to, to do that. I think Omnipod is the TiVo of insulin pumps. Like if you if you gave it to me, I would never give it back. But yeah. how do you get me to try it? Like that to me seems like the, the simplistic problem of it is that it really is true. Once you gave it to me, I would never give it back. How about, you know, and, and the problem is, is that as soon as you start explaining why, it sounds like you're grasping at straws. And the people who are like, look, they're all the same, wouldn't know that, you know, like my daughter's a very competitive softball player. And, you know, a lot of people involve themselves in activity and their blood sugar falls. But if you're a super competitive person, your adrenaline pops up, you need insulin while you're competing and doing something. And so my daughter gets a lot of insulin while she's playing softball. And if she had to disconnect, you know, what would happen? And I always wondered out loud what would happen. But then recently she started playing for a woman who, who also coached in a local high school. And she said, it's so cool to see you giving your daughter insulin during the softball game. And I was thinking like, how do you even know about this? And she said, I coach a girl at the lo- at a local high school who disconnects her pump. And by the end of the game, her blood sugar is 400 all the time. And she oh, spends man. the whole afternoon getting it back down again. And so, you know, that's one of those things that if you make that statement and you show it in real life, you would say, Oh, well, obviously this is what I want. But if I just said it out loud in mixed company, someone would be like, oh, I just disconnect when I play. It's no big deal. You, you, you yeah. know, but it is a big deal. And, and again, you have to have it. So again, you and TiVo. Um, <laughs> maybe you should- <laughs> well, I'll tell you that, that sounds, you sound exactly like my father. So he switched from his tube pump to Omnipod now, maybe two, two and a half months ago. And he, he called me the, a week in and he said, Shacey, all you have to do is get people to wear this for two pod changes and you will never lose them. Right. He said, I didn't realize, you know, he was disconnecting for the gym. He was sleeping funny. He was moving funny. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the sort of small but meaningful diminishment of your lifestyle and various days, you know, he just, he could not believe the freedom that he experienced with Omnipod. And so we took that idea this month and we actually, for Diabetes Awareness Month, we're potting up all of our healthcare practitioners. So we gave, you know, every sales rep, I think a hundred pods. And we said, go, you know, help your physicians understand the benefits that this product could bring to their patients and ask them to wear a pod and in exchange for that, we'll donate to either ADA or to JDRF, depending on whether it's a pediatric endo or an endo. The the pictures, they've been snapping pictures of their their healthcare practitioners. It's unbelievable. And and certainly we've seen an increase in referrals as a result of it too, just from gaining that sort of understanding among the healthcare practitioner what this benefit could really bring to their patients from a lifestyle perspective. That's a fantastic idea. Good for you. Good. Um, Okay. So a little bit of a course correction here in our conversation. And I have to say that I woke up a few days ago uh, to my, um, my Google alert for diabetes. I think it was on mm-hmm. World Diabetes Day. And there was a gentleman on Forbes who was writing about all kinds of different things about diabetes. And he, and he gave you a couple of sentences that I don't imagine you were thrilled to see. Um, because <laughs> I know as a person who uses Omnipod, I wasn't thrilled to see it. Now, to keep it, to keep it in focus, this is um, in an article... Uh, that has a giant thing next to it that says great speculations. So I think this is just a person who is just guessing out into the wind. It appears he's guessing about 15 things and hoping that three of them come true. So six months from now, he can write about how right he was about that. I, I am imagining. Um, but yeah. so a guy named David Cliff 
writes for Forbes, and in this article he says, um, well, he hits tandem pretty hard. Actually, you 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 come out pretty good in the sentence. The way t- tandem, <laughs> t- <laughs> uh, he says that by this time next year, it's possible, more like probable, that tandem will be in the hands of another player. So the assumption here is that they're going to have to sell, and that insulate could be out of the insulin pump market completely. Um, and then they say you, but both companies face uphill battles. Neither has the resources to effectively compete. And so um, they, and they even call Tandem more valuable. He calls Tandem more valuable than Insulate as his closing of this really terrible news for people who wear Omnipods. <laughs> Except that I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell me if that's something I should be genuinely worried about or not. Um, yeah, and the answer is absolutely not. Um, you know, we I'm very familiar with David and his um and the article in Forbes and some of his other um writings on the subject. And I think he's just a bit of a naysayer. I think he um you know, he initially when we sort of had the management changes at Insulet, he had some um dismay that uh, the people that were coming on board didn't have a background in diabetes. Um and you know, I think to some extent his continued ruminations on the subject are just to support his initial thesis that mm-hmm. that was going to mean bad things for insulin. But I would say, I think the numbers speak for themselves. You know, we've had three quarters of record new patient growth. Um, we're very excited about the future. And, you know, I think one of maybe the, the changes in direction with the new management team versus the old, which maybe is throwing David a bit for the loop, is is whether or not to prioritize profitability. Um, you know, we have more than 75,000 patients on this product now. We certainly have a very um, a great base of business and users, and it's growing at record percentages. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the question is, do you try to get to profitability as quickly as possible, or do you take that cash and invest in the business depending on the opportunities that you see in front of you? And the previous management you know, had really um, guided our shareholders and the investment community to, um, to getting to profitability as quickly as possible. We view that differently, and we, we want to invest in the business, um, particularly in research and development in the pipeline and also the clinical pipeline. Um, and so we have delayed, um, you know, estimates in terms of when we'll reach profitability. But that is not an indication. I mean, you look at Dexcom, right? They're not profitable today Well, that's either. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Dexcom is the model for this. What they're doing is they're they're you know instead of dipping back in and taking in and giving back to the to the investors, they they're they're doubling down on R and D. And what they're doing is they are very quickly distancing themselves from anyone else in the market to the point where Dexcom's right. Dexcom's going to become Kleenex as far as CGMs go. At some point, you're not right. going to say That's continuous right. glucose monitor anymore. It's going to be Dexcom, and everyone else is going to get left in the lurch. Uh, and so that's the model you guys are are going to follow. I, yeah, I think- we see we uh, when we look at the history of the company over the last couple of years, we have been under investing in research and development, mm-hmm. and so um, we see tremendous opportunities to bring meaningful innovation to the market. And our plan is to make those investments. Yeah. And so that you know that may be confounding David Cliff for whatever reason, but I would say um, you know it's not it's not an accurate assessment of the situation. We're very excited about you know the future. Um, both the near term and the long term future for insulin. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. That's excellent. And, and now tell me, <laughs> when, when you came on board, what told you that you were behind on research and development? Was that the tricorder in 35 year old Star Trek episodes looks cooler than the PDM? Or, or <laughs> <laughs> how did you figure it out on your first day? Were you like, what's this paperweight thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh gosh. <laughs> well, obviously, you know we're working hard on on improving the the PDM and the interface. I think, um, yeah, you know, I think certainly you can look at how quickly we've iterated the product compared to, for example, a Dexcom. I think you can look at the fact that the company had deprioritized artificial pancreas, and mm-hmm. yet, um, obviously, the technology and the clinical research and the regulatory climate all, to me, point towards the fact that we are going to have an artificial pancreas on the market in the next you know, few years. Yeah, and I- so I think it had deprioritized, really, those investments. And we saw um, that insulin should be leading the way. And if you think about the potential of an artificial pancreas with Omnipod, 
I mean, that is an amazing product and one we know will be incredibly embraced by our patients and by more patients in the marketplace. And so we want to be leading the way with those investments as opposed to, um, you know, marching towards profitability as quickly as possible. I was dreaming. And, you know, I, I'm sorry. I cut you off. I, I was, I was going to say I was dreaming about the idea of um, artificial pancreas with Omnipod yesterday when I was interviewing a girl who just came off of a six-week trial and she said yeah. it, was, it was almost heartbreaking to give it back. You know, and, and then I started kind of thinking about like, wow, you could put two different tanks in an Omnipod. One could have, you know, glucagon and one could have insulin. You started thinking about how well it could work and, and it just, it got very exciting. Uh, I don't want to walk yeah. away from the PDM for a second though, because if I don't flat out ask you, when can people expect the new PDM? Like I'm going to get, like people are going to send me nasty emails. So um, <laughs> do you have a timeline for, for the new PDM? Yeah. I mean, in what we've you know said is, and this is still accurate, that we're submitting our next generation PDM to the FDA in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to do that as quickly as we can, but right now we're forecasting mid to third quarter 2016. Uh, but we are working on other ways to bring integration to the market and an improved in, and an improved interface more quickly than that mm-hmm. through mobile apps. And that's another area where I think we were woefully underinvested, and we've. Now, I think got a pretty exciting strategy around, um, you know, how we can bring features and integration and data to uh, mobile devices to help at least rely less on that um, older generation PDM while we work to get the newer generation out. So are you saying to me that it's possible that before the new PDM arrives, my daughter can give herself insulin through an iPhone app instead? <laughs> well, you know, she will not be able to deliver insulin, so she'll still need to bolus from her PDM, okay. and that's really that's not a technical challenge as much as it is an FDA regulatory sort of cybersecurity challenge. And we are working on on that. We, you know, our ideal, um, I would say, aspiration for AP is to have it through a mobile phone app as opposed to a, a PDM. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of work to get there. I think in the meantime, though, we could bring. Uh, a mobile application to the market that does display data and does integrate CGM and uh, Omnipod data and maybe shows you insulin on board and other important, um, uh, you know, pieces of data. Right. But you would still need your PDM to bolus, uh, to prime a pod, et cetera, because I think the FDA views controlling insulin versus displaying data much differently. And so we want to work within those parameters to kind of bring something cool to market uh, sooner rather than later. So you said the word Dexcom a couple of times. And and as a person on the outside who pays attention, but doesn't pay, you know, it's not my job to pay attention. um, I feel like there was a time when I heard that Dexcom and Omnipod were in a partnership and they were going to make this device that was all in one. And then I feel like there was a time that I heard that you guys all went your separate ways. That wasn't going to happen anymore. And then I feel like more recently I heard it might happen again. And (laughs) so where are we now with that? Yeah. So we, um, you know, have an agreement to integrate their G5 sensor into our uh, next generation PDM. Uh, and I would say they've been a great partner um, from a development standpoint. So that's still absolutely the plan. And, um, you know, we're working hard on doing that and then working hard on finding other ways to potentially integrate the data sooner than that, even for our patients. Okay. We, I think what we've heard loud and clear from our patients is that they want integration of this data, particularly they want it on their mobile phone. Um, and so we're working hard to be able to deliver something. And I think, you know, Dexcom, more than probably many other companies out there, is really, I think, uh, innovative and also very connected to what the patient wants from a mobile device standpoint. And so, uh, you know, it's been fun working with them, and, and certainly it's an active project. You know what else they're really good at? And I wonder if you've taken anything from them or even picked their brain over it, is they are very good at talking to the FDA. Have you... I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that. I I, I yeah. personally think that they are, you know, Dexcom and and probably what happened with you know um, private citizens coming up with CGM in the cloud. I think that whole kind of thing that happened kind of showed the FDA like, look, you know, we we gotta maybe move a little quicker here. And and Dexcom definitely seems like they have that that they have the Midas touch when it comes to talking to them. Is that something that you do you think you've picked up on? Is there a way to, yeah. is there a way to steal the guy? <laughs> is what I'm 
<laughs> Although I don't know how you're going to get him from San Diego to Boston, but you know, maybe in the <laughs> I summer think that months. Would be tough. Yeah, Although yeah. he's from Pennsylvania. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. Well, then let's get him back here. Um, <laughs> no, I yeah, I think we absolutely recognize that, and you know, I think um, they've been sort of paving the way, really, in terms of um, helping the FDA get comfortable with um, you know mobile integration. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And I think I would say also they've been very open to working with us and supporting those efforts as we think about, you know, this first phase of integration. And then also as we think about more substantial integration related to AP. So uh, they've been supportive, um, open, and uh, and I think we will benefit from, and we are already benefiting from their expertise in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems, I mean, if you've got a real good relationship, I mean, they're the ones that I, I'm not sure how much they'd want to share, but at least you guys aren't also making glucose monitors. So, uh, you know, so, so yeah. can, is there any, um, it, it, I don't know, is there any way that you can kind of describe like what that means when you say like a Dexcom and Omnipod would be brought together somehow? Is the pod going to look drastically different than it does now to, or is it the same? Will it auto insert? Like, what are your goals for it? Yeah. Well, I'll say the first thing is that we want to get to market as quickly as possible with something meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in terms of changes to the pod, what we see as the way to do that is to keep the user experience fairly similar. So okay. the patient would still wear a pod and would wear a CGM Dexcom, a Dexcom CGM, but they, um, the difference would be in the algorithm. Um, and that, and that's, you probably are familiar with the research that's been out there. There's probably what, uh, 11 different a research programs, a lot of people nine, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Different. And they're all looking at sort of different algorithms to basically take the CGM data and then be able to control the delivery of insulin based on that data. Mm-hmm. And so that is the difference is the algorithm, which would re- reside in the pod. But at least for the first generation of the product, we would envision that the user experience would be somewhat similar. So mm-hmm. they would wear a pod and they would wear a, a CGM sensor, but uh, we would really massively reduce the burden for the patient. Um, and so that's that's kind of what our vision is. Um, and we'll be sharing a lot more of that as we get a little bit further down the pathway um, with our first uh, clinical trials. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let me ask a couple of disconnected questions, and then we'll circle back around and talk about artificial pancreas for a second. So um, okay. uh there was a moment about a year ago where the internet exploded because no one um, wanted to give us the test strips for the PDM anymore. And there's going to be no more freestyle. Now it's freestyle light. And then, you know, people are like freestyle light doesn't work in that. And then, you know, the internet confusion starts where nobody really knows what they're talking about. It doesn't stop them from saying it out loud. Everybody takes what they read as fact. Everything got all twisted up. Abbott. um, And I am saying this from a personal perspective, uh, perspective of my my experience, Abbott bungled has bungled things in the past in ways that were mind boggling. Um, especially when there were uh, a recall on some test strips about a year ago. That I think honestly, if I would have sat my eleven year old down and said, "People are going to have to mail test strips back, and we have to give them new ones." You make a plan for how that's going to happen, and I genuinely think my daughter would have come up with a better way to handle it. And so, um, and she has not been to any business schools whatsoever, as far as I'm as I'm aware. And uh, I love I love freestyle test strips. I've only ever used them for nine years of diabetes, but I am calling them out here. The way they figured it out to do a recall was a mess. Um, but but and you don't have to say anything, Shacy. By the way, this is me. Uh, but. What is, is what, what's happening to people now is some people's insurance are telling them, look, we're not covering freestyle test strips anymore. You can have freestyle light test strips. That sounds very confusing to people. And it, if you could make sense of it, I know that I'm confused by it. So, um, yeah. you know, can you make that make sense for me? Yeah, I could try. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's certainly an issue that was raised pretty early on in my tenure. And um, we worked with Abbott to come up with what we think is a good solution for those access issues. Uh, we, we set up a dedicated toll-free helpline um, that patients can call if they have any copay or coverage issues with the freestyle test strips. Okay. And um, patients who call that number are offered, um, with the help of Abbott, prior authorization assistance, essentially. And it's a program that just helps them ensure access. And if for some reason they don't have access, um, Abbott can direct them uh, via certain participating pharmacies to basically get the test strips for the cost of a copay. 
so they've worked hard on this program. I, I feel like, and, and certainly the feedback that we get from um, our patients is that we've we've gone a great distance to resolve these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scott, I'd be happy to send you the number if you want to put a link to it on your website or, or I whatever. Would, I but would I think even put it right in the show notes of the show so people could click over while they're listening and see it. So right, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, and so you think it's it's so it's. Some insurance companies, so I have a tiny bit of understanding of this because I know somebody who works up high in a in a company um, that provides, I'm really talking around this, I don't want to get the guy in trouble, uh, it, it <laughs> provides provides medical equipment to people like, you know, test strips, insulin, you know, bandage, any, anything, sure. one of those kind of third-party companies. And I know that they have conversations every year about like disallowing certain things and sometimes it's nothing more than a, if you forgive my language, it's nothing more than a pissing match between the company and the insurance company uh, or, or the provider. You know, sometimes it's the people who make the test trips don't want to sell it for a certain price. So the company who provides to, to the public says, oh, yeah, well, then we won't sell them at all anymore. When then we'll call you next year and see how you feel about this new price. Like sometimes it really is that. I've seen that argument happen between, Absolutely. you know, insurance companies and my hospital, you know, and like, and so everybody tries to get their footing on, on high ground sometimes. Um, and so I don't know what happened with freestyle and freestyle light, but, but from a, a, just a usability standpoint, I can put a freestyle or a freestyle light test strip into that PDM and I'm going to get an accurate test. Is that correct? Well, you know, <laughs> that's my understanding, but I would just emphasize that what's in the label is freestyle. So what's been studied um, and labeled by the FDA is freestyle. And that's, that's sort of the limitations that we have in terms of what we can talk about and, no, that's fine. and market and advertise. So then if I want to, I'm going to call a phone number, which will be in the show notes for this and, and on the back on the, on the blog. And I'm going to call that number and someone from Abbott is going to walk me through this incredibly ridiculous issue and help me get to back to my freestyle test trips. Is that, and that's, that's a exactly possibility. Right. All right. I that's understand exactly right. what we are not saying. And, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully everyone who's listening and, is too. Uh, and I would just say that the way that you characterize, you know, sort of the distribution relationship between manufacturers and hospitals and insurers is exactly right. Mm-hmm. And what Abbott's trying to do is just give access through the pharmacy channel, which is, you know, a very hopefully straightforward, easy way for patients to access the strip without having to, um, you know, in the worst case scenario, if they can't get it through their DME provider or their insurer without having to deal with that. And I think they've set up a nice system, but, you know, I'd love your opinion on that if you ever give the number a call well, and, and try to work through the process. Let me just say something. It cannot be worse than what they set up for the recall. And and so, <laughs> and I made the point to them at the time, they wanted me to send back all of my test strips. And then when they received them, they would send me new ones. And I asked the very simple question, what if I send you back 1,100 test strips and for some reason the person logs them as 100? How are you going to believe me when I call you up and say I sent you 1,100 test strips and you sent me back 100? There's, no, there's nothing here to, to stop that. And they said, oh, we'll believe you when you call. And I said, well, you'll forgive me if I don't take that as an answer. And so, um, and, and, and it was really, like, it was that overly simplistic. Listen, if, if I have a bad pod, you guys send me a new pod, yeah. and and if you want the ba- the bad pod back, I send it back to you. And, and oftentimes you don't. Every company on the face of the planet, <laughs> when I buy something important that's medical from them, sends me a new yeah. one, and then I send it back. And so, anyway, I was really ir- I wish you could have seen me. I looked like a lunatic with the phone in my hand at some point. So, um, <laughs> to, to, but to get past that, um, okay. So um, I do want to ask one more like kind of little question like that there was more more questions from the pub from the community than i expected about there being what they were calling a more pediatric friendly pump and i don't find not to be pediatric friendly so i'm just asking on their behalf um okay i i guess it was more about if i really think about the questions the way they were asked it was more about having to put so much insulin into the pod and then not using most of it do you do you have any like I mean, are there any plans yeah. to make one like that's that takes less yeah. insulin? We so we've got a number of projects that we're exploring to kind of 
I guess, even um, improve from where we are today, uh, the way that we serve the pediatric community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I, think the, I think the product was, well, it clearly was developed and designed with a child in mind. And so, I mean, that was the inspiration for the product was um, a, a gentleman whose son, um, who I think was five or six at the time, was uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and he had kind of gone to see tube pumps and all of the complexities associated with that and the size and said, there's got to be a better way and essentially, you know, motivated some engineers to resolve that problem. So it really was designed with kids in mind. Mm -hmm. That said, I think there is a challenge for some patients who use very little insulin because there's a minimum fill of 85 units in the pod in order to activate the pod. And so for patients who use a lot less than that, you know, you could be in a situation where you have to dispose of insulin. And that's not a perfect scenario. And obviously, our mission is to make people's lives easier that are living with type 1 diabetes. And so that's not making their life easier. And yeah. so we've, we have started several early R&D projects looking at how do we maybe address the minimum fill piece and mm-hmm. um, eliminate it or dra- dramatically remove, lower it. And then also, we're always looking at ways to make the pod smaller. I think that's going to be kind of an ongoing iterative effort for us from here until the you know, end of time. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's the other aspect is the footprint and then the capacity of the insulin requirement. Right. Right. And both of those are projects that we're actively looking at. Cool. Um, I, I have one person asked, uh, it, such a, it felt like such a throwaway question, but every time I, write, I read it, it made more and more sense to me. It, and, and I do, like I said, my, my wife is in product safety, so uh, drug safety. I, I know the issues that are at hand here when, when I ask this question, but is there a way to let people online report when their pods are bad and without them having to call in or do you, is there not a pathway to that working for reasons that are more um, reporting related than anything else? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, our systems, that's a really good question. (laughs) Because that would also be easier on you. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think we should explore it. And I actually, I'll take that as an action item to explore. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to what are the parameters in terms of, why we do it the way we do it. Certainly there are, and it sounds like you're familiar with this, there are very strict requirements in terms of the information that we have to collect, the follow-up that we have to do. And I don't know if there are, um, you know, requirements in terms of how that information is collected. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does seem like we should be able to take advantage of online uh, reporting for that, and that would make everybody's lives a lot easier. So I'll take it as something to look into. I just don't have a good answer. No, no, no. I didn't, and I didn't expect you to have an answer. I just, as I, I don't yeah. even know if I was going to ask you the question, but I kept reading. I was like, man, that makes sense. So um, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does for so many reasons, <laughs> yeah, right? I yeah. mean, you could just imagine how much easier it would be for you to know the status of your investigation and complaint, and for us to be able to manage that in a more um, efficient way. I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't see the difference. You've mentioned yeah, I don't see the difference between someone on the other end of the phone asking me if the yeah. insulin was room temperature or if me clicking a checkbox off saying I had I was using room temperature insulin or like you know like some because I'll tell you what happens is that and I and let me say this too because I think there's a perception because people complain on the internet more than they nobody says anything positive I probably call <clears throat> twice a year maybe three times a year with a pod that expired before it should have and I think it should be replaced sometimes it's you know, in the winter and it's static electricity and, you know, and maybe it kind of pops or, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, once in a while I'll put it on like, you know, a day into it, it just won't deliver anymore. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not paying for this one. And so, and I call him, but the problem is, is that you guys, because you have to ask the same set of questions over and over again. And mm-hmm. after you make that call a couple of times, there is a voice in your head that's like, stop asking me. I know that I, I pinched up. I swear to God, don't ask me if I pinched up. And then, the, you know, and the person on the other end says, did you pinch up? And you're like, yes, I did. And so, um, and, and so I think, to be honest, I think that's the part that makes people a little mental. So, you know, anyway, so thank you. And, um, and I think it's great feedback. I mean, I th- to me, it's two issues, right? And one of them we are working on, which is, you know, we have prioritized the customer experience this year. It's 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 been a big sort of um, initiative internally. And so Mm -hmm. part of that is training our product support people to, yeah, you have to ask those questions, but is there a way we can ask them so that we recognize that we've asked this in the past and we just have to do this, help help the patient understand A couple extra words makes it sound human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and like that, you know, we know we've talked to you before. We know you're experienced, right? You've been on this product for a long time. And so you've likely done these things, but unfortunately I have to ask them anyways. Right. 
And I, I, I feel like that's something we can get better at. But I yeah. do agree that the online reporting sort of resolves all of that. Yeah, and so yeah, okay. it's on my list now. Uh, okay. Well, I, now I, let me apologize to all the people who I imagine do that work from their home. And um, are, are right now listening to it going, hey, buddy, I need a job, you know. And so <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty for you to do still. Um, okay. So coming up on an hour, and I know I promised you an hour, but I got to ask you this at the end. Um, okay. Artificial pancreas. I, you know, like I said I, earlier, I interviewed a lady yesterday. She'll probably be mad at me for calling her a lady. But um, I, I interviewed a woman yesterday who had just got off a trial and as I was talking to her, I realized, A, I have never really thought that much about artificial pancreas. B, she was passionate about how life-changing it was for her. And C, it occurred to me in that moment, something that I never thought of before, that artificial pancreas is nothing more than the algorithm. Like, that's what it is, right? Right. Like, you know, it's, you know, it, no matter what pump you use to deliver glucagon and insulin, you know, and, and you're using the Dexcom, I'm assuming, too you know, to, to, to measure, you know, what blood sugars are. But in the end, what all these different people are working on is an algorithm that figures out this is how much I eat and this is how much I need and, and an algorithm that learns, you know, what, what does a, what does a, I'm going to have a small meal versus I'm going to have a large meal mean over time. And so right. I guess my question is, you know, people are talking about like Medtronic's talking about having one in 2017. Um, Mass General's talking about 2018, and that they're designing their own pumps and everything for it. Like they're going nuts over <laughs> there. How much of are you involved in this space at all? You obviously said earlier you are, and and how far along is it? And and how much of a? I mean, do you think that there will be a point in the future where all insulin pumps are just artificial pancreases? Uh, so, yes, we are heavily involved, and um, I would say we resurrected some of this activity at the beginning of this year. So I will admit we're behind the eight ball mm -hmm. on this one compared to some of our competitors. Um, but it is probably the most exciting thing I'll work on in my career. And the idea that, um, you know, in my father's lifetime, not very, you know, in the next five years, we're all going to have multiple artificial pancreas devices on the market is incredibly it's thrilling yeah. to me. Um, and I see the same thing that you do. I've talked to patients who've been involved in the research trials and, you know, just from being involved in the development and research here at Inslet, um, the, the relief of burden that this can provide the patient and their family is enormous. And so uh, we're working diligently on it. You know, we've identified three kind of key, I would say, objectives this year, and artificial pancreas is our number one strategic priority okay. for the next, you know, five years. So we, we're, we are wholly committed to this. Um, you know, we'll begin clinical trials uh, early next year. Um, you know, we've had a very, you know, a lot of really exciting um, research and development and kind of early technical feasibility work done. Um, and I, I can't, um, I can't explain to you how, how thrilling it is. So, yeah, I agree. I think, yes, I think all, in, uh, to some extent, all insulin pumps will be, um, you know, artificial pancreas devices, um, you know, within the next five years. And, and certainly Omnipod will be um, a significant player in that that market. Well, I'm, I have to be honest with you. Had I not talked to Kelly yesterday, I would have just taken that as you answering a question. But after hearing her speak about it, I'm now I'm as excited as you are because she, yeah. it was like someone took oxygen from her when she came off of that, you, you, you know, yeah. and, and how she described not thinking about things and, and just the idea of like getting to a meal and saying, I think I'm just going to have a little bit and then literally pushing a button that said small, like, I think she said it was small bite you know, normal meal, large meal, like, you know, like I can't. And then she talked about how, how clean, and she sent me pictures and you know what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to run her episode right after yours so that people can hear it. But, but pictures of her graph lines were fascinatingly steady. Like, like, yeah, yeah like I don't, I think people who don't have diabetes don't have, <laughs> don't have right. blood sugars that steady, you know? And so it really just, it moved it into another space for me. You know, I was, I was like, wow, this is, this is obtainable now and and it, look yeah. how well it works. So, you know, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm thrilled to hear you guys are involved. Yeah. I think that the thing, just to, I guess, you know, I just want to be responsible about how I um, talk about it. Sure. You know, the challenge, the challenge with companies, you know, with all of these algorithms and devices is weighing safety versus control. Right. And right. so 
you know, the idea that um, the patient will not be involved at all, that's probably a big stretch. Um, you know, the patient is still going to have to announce meals, for example, yeah. at least in most of the data that I've seen. But overnight control, that's a total reality. Mm. And that, if you think about the challenges that that presents, you know, parents, patients, um, to be able to have that that relief and be able to wake up without the dawn phenomenon and not go low overnight, that just elimination of that, that is absolutely possible with an artificial pancreas device today. And so that's, that's to me, the really exciting stuff. Shacey, as a, as a person who's been taking care of another person with type 1 diabetes for nine years, I'm going to tell you that if you keep talking about me getting to sleep, I'm going to cry. And I'm not, I'm not, oh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even being funny. Like I was, I was pretty yeah. close to a tear when you were, when you were talking about it just now, yeah. because I, I need to sleep so badly, I can't yeah. explain it to you. Like, like I, yeah. I am holding on, waiting for something like this. And when this comes out, I am going to um, teach my daughter how to use it. And then I am going to tell her if she needs me, I will be in my room with the drapes drawn for like two weeks. <laughs> and I'm not going well, to come out to do whatever we can to get you involved in our clinical trials then. Oh, well, um, first of all, thank you. And, and secondly, I just want to... I, I want to tell you that it might not be something that's in the forefront of your mind when you're thinking about stuff like this, but broken sleep is going to kill me at some point. And, yeah. and, and it really, it, it is so terrible that, um, to tell, to tell you what it would do to my health, to my, to my body, um, to my ability to interact with people, you know, um, intellectually, um, I, it, it has, it has changed my life. And I'm not one of those people who's up all night long with blood sugars. I'm, I'm, I'm not, like I'm not like sitting outside of a room like a like a hawk, you know. But I am yeah. up and down a couple of times, or I get to bed late, you know. If she says, "Oh, I want to have a snack," and it's ten o'clock, and I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and then in my yeah. mind I go, "One o'clock." I guess I go to bed at one o'clock, you know. And then if something yeah. doesn't go completely right, then one o'clock is two o'clock, and two o'clock is a falling blood sugar, and then I got to get back up at three, and you know, and then yeah. and but and, and in the beginning, Chasey, in the beginning, I was like, "Ooh, I'm one of these people. Like, I don't need a lot of sleep." <laughs> I'll be fine. And like four or five years into it, I looked at my wife one day and I was like, this is what's going to do me in. Like, like it really is. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. thank you. And yeah. we hear, I hear that story, you know, from so many people. And That's, so yeah. I'll just tell you, I, you know, we're working very, very hard on it and I'm optimistic, but really excited about um, what we can do for you and, and for your daughter and for all the other patients and people that are living in the same way. You know? Well, that is pretty much all any of us can ask for. So I am going to release you from this and uh, and say thank you very, very much. Um, please tell Rob Campbell that how well this went for you so he's not scared when we do <laughs> when we talk to him. Um, and I just really, I can't thank you enough. Just thank you so much for coming on the podcast and doing this. And, and uh, I, I hope you realize how many people out in the community are going to be thrilled to hear from you. So I appreciate it. Uh Thanks, Scott. It was, it was really a pleasure. So it's great to speak with you. And I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to connect with you. Thank you. Hey, guys, hang out for one second so I can tell you a little more about this freestyle test strip thing uh, that Chasey spoke about earlier in the show. So I'm going to read a little bit of something to you here that's from the Omnipod website. It says, Omnipod patients now have access to a dedicated toll-free helpline if they should experience any copay or coverage issues with their freestyle test strips. All right, that phone number is 877 654 9975. I'm going to put all this verbiage in the show notes and at the back of the blog where the where you can listen online at juiceboxpodcast.com. But it's going to go on to tell you that uh that let's see, you'll call the number, Abbott will conduct a full benefits investigation. From there, Abbott will both facilitate and assist in reaching out to the to your payers and healthcare provider to obtain a prior authorization. It goes on to tell you what's going to happen if you're approved and how to handle that. And even if you're denied, how they can still help you get the test strips. In the show notes or back at juiceboxpodcast.com for episode 39, I'm going to have this information. Pretty much that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for sending in your questions. Follow me on the social media at Arden's Day or at Juicebox Podcast. And if you're enjoying the Juicebox Podcast, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes because that helps the podcast to reach more people. Nothing you heard on the Juicebox podcast is intended to be advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making changes to your health care plan. If you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast, please contact me. If you're interested in advertising on the podcast, again, please give me a little shout. Bottom of uh, Ardensday.com or juiceboxpodcast.com, click on contact and I'll get right back to you.